2: What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. No Jack Manuel today, but we do have Will Jackson. What's up, Will? What's up, guys? Will, obviously, last night did not go as we wanted, you know, staying up late on the East Coast to finish the game. The Nets lost in double OT to Portland, 148-144. You know, self-inflicted loss in my eyes. But before we break it down, quick reminder, check us out on iTunes, Talk Radio, Basketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and YouTube. But, Will, talking about that loss, 148-144, what was the biggest issue in your eyes for the Nets last night? What, you know, caused this loss? You know, I think we out-rebounded them. But, I mean, the biggest issue for me was the late
1: turnovers in the game.
2: Yeah, late turnovers and this – you know, I almost want to combine it into late turnovers and bad decisions because it was all kind of combined in a way. You know, late turnovers, we, we took care of the ball most of the game, but then we ended the game with 16 turnovers, and Portland only had three. Obviously, you're going to lose most games when you lose a turnover battle by 13. But then the bad decisions, some bad shots. Obviously, uh, D'Angelo had some turnovers, and then Spencer doing when he had some bad fouls.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just a rough game uh, when it came to the late fourth quarter and overtime.
2: And that's what's, you know, it's kind of terrible because the Nets put themselves in a position to really win this game and they just pretty much blew it at the end. You know, we'll talk about the free throws too. 31 of 44, 13 missed free throws against a really good team like Portland on the road. It's probably not going to cut it and it's going to end up getting you an L. Yeah. I mean, free throws are something that we've talked about a lot lately. I mean,
1: too DeAngelo much. Russell, too much. Yeah. D'Angelo Russell hasn't been hitting them lately. You know, a lot of the team hasn't been hitting them. And <laughs> free throws can make a huge difference in any game.
2: I mean, let's hypothetically say at this point, you know, they hit most of their free throws in overtime. If they knock down two or three more free throws, they're walking away with a win in regulation.
1: Yeah, I mean, these a shot 50% from the line. I mean, that's just not going to cut in the game.
2: Exactly. And that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an outlier. But like we talked about in the past, Joe Harris, 4-6, you know, things like that is just kind of weird. You don't expect it. I think it's like we talked about. It's a little bit contagious. Guys are just missing these free throws. Now, talking about D'Angelo, who had a really good start to the game, what did you think about his playing overtime? overtime? Uh, you know, it was
1: an up-and-down performance in overtime. Um, I think that he did, like, carried us in that first overtime period just with the shots he was making. But other than that, I mean, just the turnover at the end of the fourth quarter really just hurt us.
2: Yeah, that for, that fourth quarter turnover at the end of the game, obviously I think if the Nets just held it out, Portland would have had only three seconds to, you know, take a shot to win it possibly, and the Nets were up at two at that point. So if they had scored in that situation, it pretty much sealed the deal. Thought obviously that turnover really hurt. It kind of – Jack and I were talking in the DMs a little bit. It kind of reminded me a little bit of that New Orleans game. Obviously the turnover wasn't quite as bad, but I think you do need to do a better job protecting the ball in that situation because it literally is one of just the worst things that can happen is a live ball turnover in that situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you had the game in your hands. You're up ten halfway through the fourth quarter, and then just boom, turnovers. And in the, in the, at the end of the fourth quarter, I mean, you have to hold on to the ball. I
2: just don't know what else to say. What'd you think about Dinwiddie? With you know, it was I mean, Dinwiddie's probably one of the most intelligent players on the Nets. And to foul at the end of regulation, and then foul at the end of double OT where they had a chance to win it, you think he was just in a funk last night? The foul at the end of the fourth quarter on Seth Curry just pissed me off. I mean, and they got lucky, he, he missed one.
1: Yeah, I mean, as soon as he missed that free throw, I jumped up and down and <laughs> excited, basically. But um, yeah, I mean, that just pissed me off. I mean, he's obviously we know that he's one of the smartest players on the team. He's gifted and come in terms of his talent, but uh, he just got to be smarter there.
2: Yeah, especially I felt like you know the one in regulation really sucked, but the one in double OT where they hit all those threes to give themselves a chance to win it and then go to foul like that, it just was such a letdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you can't do that.
2: And before we go any further, you know, obviously in overtime, uh, Yosef Nurkic suffered a very serious leg slash ankle injury. He did uh, have surgery today. We wish him the best. You know, we know how it feels. Karis had something similar, wasn't quite as bad. But, you know, it it was rough to see any player go down like that.
1: Yeah, NBA TV didn't show the replay. And, I mean, I'm kind of grateful for that because from what I hear, it's just really, really awful. Um, Prayers up for him. And like Nick said, we've been through it. But I hope for a full recovery.
2: Yeah, and and you know you don't want to see that happen ever. And at one a.m., it kind of just throws you for a loop seeing somebody's you know foot pointed the wrong way. But like like Will said, hopefully the best for him. Talking about bigs though, Jared Allen not a great game. Ed Davis a good game, but he did foul out.
1: Yeah, I mean I keep making this point over and over again. But the Nets need another big body on the team for situations like this where both players foul out in the end of the
2: game. Exactly. I mean it could happen in the playoffs if you get matched up in a series against a team like uh, Philly. And you got to deal with Joel Embiid easily could foul out one of your guys or get yourself in a situation. Jared Allen obviously fouled out in uh, overtime as well. So they had to play Jared Dudley there. You know, Demari Carroll and Jared Dudley as your front court is going to be rough going against any big team. So it'll be interesting to see if they sign anybody moving forward. Do you think they will or are you just hoping they will?
1: You know, I think like the most logical thing would be for them to uh, bring up Allen Williams. I mean, I know Long Island's in the playoffs now and he's probably going to be on that team. But I mean, when Long Island's not playing, I think. should be on the team
2: yeah it'll be something to keep an eye on because what i understand is two-way players cannot play in the playoffs unless they sign an nba contract Huh, that's interesting so they'd have to make a decision and obviously there's been a lot of talk about theo pinson getting that last spot it'll see if the nets really care about winning now or they would take the risk of bringing those two guys in if they don't match up against philly they probably can get away with it against a team like toronto
1: yeah, I mean, Toronto doesn't have the physical bigs like Philly does with Embiid and uh, Marjanovic, but... Uh...
2: Yeah, and if you got to play, you know, Rondé against Serge Ibaka for some situation, or even against a Marcus who's just not as dominant as he obviously used to be, so I think they get away with it depending on matchup. I wouldn't even be surprised if they waited to like, the last minute, because they probably want to give that spot to Theo Pinson.
1: Yeah, I would imagine it'd be Theo Pinson at this point.
2: Yeah, and, you know, obviously, you like the energy he brings on the bench. He's had some good moments as well, too. Now, you know, we talked about turnovers a little bit from the net side. One thing I think is concerning that we don't discuss enough is the Nets forcing turnovers. Like I said, Portland only had three turnovers in a game that went to double overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's insane when you think about the amount of turnovers a team commits averagely in a night. You, you have to create more turnovers to win ballgames.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the zone defense helps at times, but at times, I think some is the Nets just need to pick up the intensity defensively. And talking about one guy who does bring some defense, Karis LeVert, I thought, had a good showing. You know, in the first quarter, he still looked a little rough, but then he started to bounce back, kind of getting his groove, scored uh, 16 points and had seven assists.
1: Yeah, I mean, the offense was starting to come back for him. He had a pretty decent night uh, from the field, 62%. I mean, you can see him starting to finish a little bit more at the rim. You know, you hope that he can continue this the rest of the season because the Nets really need him to get going if they want to win some more ballgames.
2: Yeah, I I think Kenny could have even considered playing Haim at the end of the fourth quarter when Joe Harris was really struggling. Joe hit, did hit a couple buckets, but I w- wouldn't have been opposed to seeing Harris out there because he played so well. Obviously, you still want to see a consistency for a couple more games, but it gives the Nets a nice luxury where – you're almost guaranteed that two of the three of, you know, Karis, Levert, Spencer, Dinwiddie, and D'Angelo Russell, two of those three are going to play well and you're going to have a really good chance to win a game.
1: Right. I think the thing that you said about Joe Harris, I think the reason Kenny Atkinson wants to play him so much is because they don't have Alan Crabb out there. And after Alan Crabb, Joe Harris is pretty much the only lights-out three-point shooter the Nets have, so they – really probably just want him out there for the spacing.
2: Yeah, I would, I would think that Kenny also wanted him for the spacing. But not only that, I think he wants that finishing lineup to get more consistent and feel better playing together. And I think that lineup is Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, Joe Harris, Damari Carroll, and Jared Allen. That's yeah. what he probably wants to go with. We'll see if that remains the case for the rest of the year. Speaking of Demar
1: Carroll, do you like him
2: starting? Ah, uh, yeah, I, you know, we did see that starting lineup again, so Damari again starting. I thought against the Lakers, I felt like it was more of a matchup thing. He could probably say the same argument against Portland, but I wouldn't be surprised if he started Damari the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably
2: going to be the plan just because he's more physical than Kurok's at the four, and is pretty well at the three. It gives him a lot of versatility, too. You can switch yeah. between those two guys, and it just gives you something different. And Carroll's a type, you know, he had a nice night from three, four, seven. You just bring some of those – uh that veteran leadership you kind of need out there with your starting lineup that the Nets don't really have, especially if this is a lineup they want to start in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, him and Jared Dudley, the veteran leadership. I mean, time and time again, it shows how valuable it is.
2: Jared Dudley, really nice game last night. 15 points, 6 of 8 from the field, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 blocks. You know, did a lot of the small things. Probably had a good shot at forcing a triple OT because he got a jump ball. I thought ball. that was a jump ball. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think the only reason they didn't change it is because the rules wouldn't allow him.
1: Yeah, I mean I was surprised to also see him throughout the game finishing at the rim a lot more, just driving to the rim and getting I think those layups just to go for, in.
2: Forget that he can actually make layups. Like it's like, oh this old guy's not gonna go in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was watching NBA TV and the commentators there were just so surprised at what he was doing. They're like, Jared Dudley's
2: doing this? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, give him props. He, he knows what to do. You know, he plays the game the right way and a lot of screens, a lot of stuff he does under the radar. One thing he does that I absolutely love is he's one that, that actually boxes out him and Ed Davis are probably the most consistent guys that are in the paint trying to box somebody out.
1: I mean, who would have thought boxing out, get you a rebound. I, I never <laughs> would have guessed.
2: Oh uh, man. I wish Jared Allen would learn that. I mean, I think that's one area he struggles with is Jared is kind of always trying to jump off for of the rebound and he doesn't necessarily always put a body on somebody. Obviously at his size is a little bit more difficult.
1: Yeah, I think that he needs to gain a little bit more, like, on, on the muscle standpoint with that. Yeah,
2: especially lower body strength. I think that's an area where, you know, you're going to get a strong strong base to kind of find some space. Yeah. But uh, what do you think about Joe Harris struggling? Has this been something that you've noticed since post-All-Star break? Obviously, we can talk about this because Jack's not on or he'd kill us both. But 4-13 from the field, 1-6 from 3, 4-6 from the free-throw line. Do you feel like he's in a little bit of a funk?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you can see it. He's not been shooting the best since the break. I mean, he still leads the league in three-point percentage because he is Joe Harris. But, um, no, I think that we do see the struggles. Uh, 1-6 of tonight. I think he didn't only think his his only three came in that second overtime with uh, the Hail Mary three, basically.
2: Yeah, where you're kind of, like, free and you're not really thinking quite as much. It would be nice to get him going. Now, do you think it's more so Harris is in a funk or the Nets need to do a better job of getting him more open shots?
1: You know, I think that it's a mix of the two. think like they I, they're not setting as many off ball screens for him as they have in the past and then I think the other thing is he kind of misses Alan Crab out there just as a second three-point shot that the other team has to defend just as much
2: yeah I agree I think it's a little bit of both I also think you add in a third option too is other teams are just giving him a lot more attention and they're really making an effort to make sure he doesn't get a touch on the perimeter ever since he won the three-point contest man yeah hey you know it's not always a positive, I guess, from the scouting perspective. Now, we mentioned Jared Allen struggled. What did you think of Rodion's game?
1: You know, Rodion's, um, he only played in 18 minutes, so it's not a huge sample size to judge his game from. But uh, he only shot two seven. I think that he's not been in a funk, but he hasn't been uh, as lights out as he's been earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, I think he struggled a little bit in terms of shooting. He had a couple open shots that he usually knocks down. And just like uh, Portland had a, has a lot of veterans, so I think it was kind of putting them in a couple bad situations. And there's a couple, you know, uh, there's a couple learning uh, moments for them in that game where I think D'Angelo Russell got caught on an Amino screen and Rodions was too late to step up on Dame and Dame knocked down the three.
1: Yeah, I also think it was a matchup thing that Kenny just wanted to go to Jared Dudley a little bit more. Jared Dudley played 35 minutes, I think. Amino provided a bit of a challenge for Crooks in the game.
2: Now, do you think Rondé should have saw minutes last night or are you happy with the rotation?
1: You know, I am uh, I think ronde hasn't gotten any minutes in the Sacramento game, and I think that uh, he probably deserves to get a few more minutes. But um, I'm fine if uh, the rotation's working. But if it's not, like it wasn't in the Sacramento game, I think he's a nice way to get in there.
2: Yeah, somebody to kind of break it up, bring you some energy. And like we kind of talked about earlier, this wasn't really a bad game from the Nets. Like they played a good game most of the regulation, and they were down to the wire with a good team in Portland. And things, they just kind of lost control of the game, not knocking down free throws, lack of turnovers. You know, not only did Portland, you know, like you mentioned, the Nets actually out-rebounded them, but it felt like Portland was getting a ton of loose ball fouls. So the Nets just weren't doing a great job protecting and finishing off the possessions defensively.
1: Yeah, there were, que- there were a, a couple of questionable calls there at the end of the game that we could get into if you wanted. But, um... Yeah,
2: over time, I thought, you know, I didn't mind the refs most of the game, but I felt like in overtime, there was a couple questionable calls. One thing that always drives me up, nuts is like the Nets were called for three moving picks and there was no moving picks called on Portland. And we all know Nurkic and Cantor. He moved on every pick. He moved yeah. on every pick. So that was kind of uh, alarming in a sense, but overall I think, you know, the reps probably played a part in it, but it was the Nets fault. They lost this game.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. It was, I mean, you have to do better when you have a 10 point lead
2: late in the fourth quarter. Exactly. Especially when you just have the chance to, you know, force overtime The Nets called dodged a bullet where, you know, Seth Curry missed that free throw. But, Will, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think looking forward to the Philly game, um, just the biggest thing is, I mean, obviously you want to win because Orlando had a big win last night against Philly. Um, hopefully, Benson's dose the flu at that point. Uh, we'll see what happens, but um, I think – hopefully like, putting up a good fight in that game will be really important for our confidence.
2: Yeah, obviously that's the end of the road trip. Portland was the end of the Western Conference portion. Now we're going against Philly, then we have Boston. So it's going to be a tough stretch for the Nets, You know who are tied technically with Detroit, who Detroit has a slight lead in terms of win percentage, I believe. So they're in sixth, but game behind-wise, it's the same. Nets are in seventh. Miami only a game behind. Orlando a game and a half behind. But Miami and Orlando play each other tonight.
1: Yeah, and it's big that we have the tiebreakers over most of these teams. Obviously, we play Miami in the last game of the season, which will be a huge game.
2: Yeah, it'll come down to a lot. So, uh, obviously, if the Nets get in the playoffs, they deserve it. If they don't, you know, it's their fault for games like Portland, games like the Pelicans we talked about earlier, plenty of games in the season where they just blew opportunities to get a W. Not (laughs) this game. You know what? I, I will. I've advocated for this all year. I blame the Memphis game more so on the refs. Oh, uh, the
1: Jaron Jackson Jr. four point play.
2: Yeah. And then D'Angelo Russell fouled at the end of that game where they got a steal, but really he was fouled. But hey, we could do another entire podcast on that. (sighs) Will, always a pleasure talking Nets. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Check us out iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto
1: Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
0: Join
2: us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.